You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. everyone to find their seats. Uh, my name's Kim, and I'll be uh, leading us in a prayer today. Um, throughout uh, this past couple of weeks, uh, there's been a question that's been on my heart, uh, and that's been, um, are you listening? Uh, do you hear me? Uh, and uh, in John 10, 14 through 16, it says, uh, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Uh, Please join me in prayer um, to take this time to just kind of clear out um, the distractions uh, and everything uh, of life uh, and just give it all up to God in this moment. Heavenly Father, You, who spoke all things into existence, uh, with your breath gave us life. Uh, How could it be possible that uh, we can miss your voice, that we uh, get distracted and we don't hear you? Uh, But so many times we don't. Uh, We let false idols be our center. Uh, Our fears and struggles dominate our attention. But Lord, in this moment, Lord, I pray that we can put all that aside. Turn back to you, Lord. Come before the throne and just Let us not be blind sheep who wander away, being influenced by the world. There are so many things out there right now, Lord, that um, just call to our attention that we fear. Um, And in this work, politics, life, Thanksgiving, uh, there's just so much of it that just hold at us, Lord. But help us just be focused on you, uh, that you are the good shepherd who has come to protect us. You call out to us, Lord, not just as Red Z, um, but each and every one of us, by name, you call out to us, you call out Anne, Chris, Russell, Amy, CJ, Madeline, Jesse, Carter, Miles, Madison, Natalie, Leah, everyone here, you call us by name, and you know us so intimately. Mm-hmm. You desire to be a part of our lives and to have us to just flock and run to you, Lord. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they know me, just as the Christ knows, and I know the Father. How awesome is that, Lord, that we get to be in that presence of you, Lord, and have you know us so intimately. Lord, I also pray for those who don't know you yet, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, that as we engage with them, that there is a seed that is being planted in their hearts, that as you soften their hearts, they get to hear your voice, and that seed gets to stir, and it begins to grow. You say that, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Lord, as you were nailed to the cross, you paid for our lives. We belong to you and only you. Hmm. Not only that, but you brought us into your fold as adopted children, heirs to your kingdom, Lord. Open our hearts, Lord. Lord, open my heart to hear you. As Josh shares your truth today, that it washes over us, feeding our hungry soul, that we find satisfaction in you and not of the world. Also, I want to pray for our children, Lord, as they're being taught by their teachers downstairs and by their parents at home, that they get to come to know you, Lord. But more importantly, that they would hear your voice calling out to them, that they need you, that there is a hole that is void in them that only you can fill, not me, not Red Sea, not the world, Lord, but you. You are satisfying, you are filling, and that you can just give them comfort more so than we can. As As we continue each day, I pray that we would take the time to stop and listen to your voice, Lord, calling out to each one of us, and that we would respond 
we cry out to you, Abba, and find comfort in whatever situation we're going to be in. We love you, Father. We thank you for all that you do. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kim. Appreciate you leading us in our uh, congregational prayer this week. Uh, good morning. My name is Josh. If I don't know you, uh, I get to uh, team teach up here with uh, Royce as our other elder at the church. And we are kicking off a new series uh, today. Over the last eight weeks, we went through a series called Crazy Busy. Uh, and today we're kicking off one called We Are the Church. Now, our goal inside of this new, uh, about eight week series, uh, we're going to take a few weeks off in the middle for. Christmas, Advent, that's important to talk about that. Uh, but in the, mostly in the month of uh, uh, November, December, and then all the way through January, we're going to kick off this new series uh, called We Are the Church. And our hope inside of this series is that by the end of it, we will be presenting you guys with church uh, membership. So we are going to record all of these messages like we normally do, but our goal is going to be these recordings going forward will be required listening for anyone who's interested in joining into Red Sea Church membership. Now, we've had a loose form of membership here at Red Sea in the past. We've called it partnership, but it hasn't been exactly what me and Royce really feel uh, and what the Bible teaches, what it really means to be this covenant community of God's people who are gathered together to worship Him, engage in relationship with one another, and also engage in serving our community. Now, that covenant community of God's people in most churches is called church membership. And, and, and I hope you guys realize that one of mine and Royce's greatest, biggest goals inside of this series, and also in presenting church membership to you guys, is to empower you as the church. Uh, we want to have ownership inside of this mission, inside of this church, and we don't feel like we can properly do that until we have a form of church membership where you guys actually get to speak more into the decision-making processes here at Red Sea. But before we can do that, we need to understand what it is what it means to be the church. Now, for those of you who grew up in the church, this is probably not going to be any new information for you. Uh, please stay engaged over the next eight weeks, uh, because it's, especially if you want to join us in membership. Uh, but for those of you who didn't grow up in the church, and I know there's a number of you, this is going to be very different, probably very weird from anything else that you've ever heard uh, about what it means to be a part of the church. And so we need to start off the conversation basically as today's message. What, what is the church, right? Why did God choose that language? What is God's big picture of this, this gathered people? But before we do that, I think there's kind of, uh, I think two concerns that you guys may have. Uh, I, I guess two concerns that I have for us as a church when it comes to talk about membership uh, is this. The first one is we've existed this long without church membership, right? We are 14 years old uh, this past September as a church, and we've never had a formal process of church membership. Uh, if we've had it for 14 years and we seem to have operated just fine, I mean, we're all here, right? Why would we need it? And the reason that we need it is because God designed it. So if God designed a covenant relationship of His people, then we don't get to choose whether or not to have it. It's just taken us a while to get here. We needed to work through a number of other things. We needed to write bylaws, for one thing, which is something we never had, which talks about what it means to be a member for us as a church, which was a lot of fun, me and Royce, writing bylaws for years, it seemed like. But we're finally at this point where we're ready to, to jump into this conversation and start talking about all that it means to be the church. The second reason I think it's going to be difficult for us to enter into church membership is this idea that we live in a very autonomous culture. We prize individualism, right? Uh, Tim Chester in his book, uh, Total Church, says this. He says, we see ourselves less in terms of role identities, such as positions held in a group affiliation, and more in terms of dispositional identities, such as character traits or behavioral tendencies, right? When, when you and I think about ourselves, we don't think about ourselves as part of a larger group of anything. We tend to think of ourselves as my unique personality, my unique character traits, right? So this whole idea that, that part of my identity is found in being a part of the larger whole is very foreign to us. 
It's very foreign to us as Americans, for one thing, but it's also pretty foreign to us as evangelicals, right? Evangelical Christians, they tend not to think this way a whole lot. If you travel around the world, uh, which some of you guys have, the idea of a person being a part of a larger community and that community defining them is really not that odd of a concept to them. Uh, When you look at other world religions, the idea that my identity is found in this this group of people that, that demands a certain amount of loyalty out of me is, is not unusual when you, talk to, when you talk to other religions. But when we think about ourselves, we think about autonomous individual American, right? And, I, and a personal relationship with God. It's not really about a, a, a community. It's not about a community identity. It's not about a corporate relationship with God. So we're going to have to work through these things as we talk about it over the next eight weeks. But here's where I want to start us off. I want to start us off with what I'm calling a working definition of the church. And I'm calling it a working definition because we're working on it, okay? Me and Royce, over the next eight weeks, are going to fine-tune this. We may change up some language. We may find words that work a little better uh, for us. But I got this one from Gary Brashears, the professor here in Portland. I really liked it, and we're going to work through it. So we're going to put it up here on the screen. I'm going to read it uh, to you guys. Uh, and then what we're going to do is I'm going to move on beyond it, <laughs> and we're going to come back to it a little more toward like the middle of the message, okay? But I want to give you guys a definition. So here it is. Uh, the local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to the Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. I love run-on sentences. It's kind of like Paul, you know? It's good stuff. Uh, So we're going to work through that definition. I'm going to do half of it this week, and then I'm going to do the other half of it in two weeks when I talk about what is the mission of the church. But I just want to pray one more time for us. There's a lot of stuff here, uh, a lot of information, and I want us to stay engaged. So let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, I come before you uh, just being, you know, not feeling well this morning, asking for your grace uh, to be able to talk through all this. I know this is really important, God. I know this is a part of your design and your plan. And so we want to uh, be true to what you said. The church should be what the gathered people for your glory should be. So I would just ask that you would allow everything to come out the way that you want it to. Uh, open up our hearts and our minds to receive it. Uh, Father, we have all types of uh, wounds from churches and membership and authority and all these different things. And so I just pray that you would just soften our heart as we, uh, as we walk through this and we see your purposes in calling a people together for your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's just start here with the definition of the church. The church in, uh, in, in Greek is, is ekklesia, and what it means is an assembly of people. I know, it's very anticlimactic there. Church means an assembly. It's the gathering together of a group of people. Now, throughout the, Old Te- the New Testament, I'm sorry, there's been a number of metaphors that have represented this group of gathered people, right? Here's some of the, the New Testament metaphors for the church. It's called the Bride of Christ in Ephesians 5.32. Uh, we are branches on a vine, John 15.5. An olive tree in Romans 11. Uh, a field of crops, uh, a building, a harvest, uh, a new temple, a holy priesthood, uh, God's house, and the body of Christ. And then lastly is uh, the family. All metaphors for this gathering or group of people. For our conversation today, I'm going to stick with the metaphor of the family because I think it works the best. Uh, for one thing, it's one of our identities that we've chosen to represent us as a church, the way that we engage in relationship with one another. We like to use the word family. That's what... Uh, That's how we talk about our identity with one another. But we're not going to use it just because we came up with it. It's, I think, the greatest analogy, the greatest metaphor for what it means for us to be the gathered people of God. When you look at the New Testament and the language that it uses to describe us, it really talks about us like being blood relatives with one another. Well, where do we get that from? I would say members of a church are blood relatives in the sense that we all have the same father in God, Ephesians 3.14. 
We all share a brother in Christ, Hebrews 2.17, and we are all siblings to one another. For those of us who are a part of the family of God, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, Colossians 1.20. Now, we tend to think about this gathered family as a, as a New Testament thing, right? Jesus told Peter that upon your confession, I'm going to build a church, a gathering, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then that church was affirmed by God at Pentecost that we see in the book of Acts. And then those disciples went out into all the different cities and they formed little local churches, right? At some point, those churches, well, under Constantine, those churches were, were organized uh, under a kind of denomination, a church. And then we've kind of developed many thousands of years later out of, out of that organization. That's how we tend to think about where the church came from. But... We can see God gathering a group of people, a family, together much earlier in the biblical story. The first family that we see is in the Garden of Eden with the creation of of Adam and Eve, right? Now, I'm going to kind of walk us through what family looks like to God, family being the church, over uh, God's story in the Bible. Now, every time God came and, and made, a, a rela- made a covenant with a group of people, he set up a, what that covenant would look like, what relationship would look like between him and this, and this family unit, right? So throughout God's story, that relationship looked a little different, right? That's why Adam and Eve's relationship with God looks different than our relationship with God today. You guys following me? Does that make sense? So it's important to remember that each family of God's people look a little different based on the covenant that they've entered with God. But throughout the Bible, God has covenanted with a gathered group of people. So the first one we see, like I said, is with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God gives Adam and Eve one command. He tells them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, right? Genesis 1.28. Now this may sound like a recipe for overpopulation, but it's actually meant to be a blessing to the world. In this church, we obviously do not have a problem with being fruitful and multiplying. There's like kids running around all over the place. We need a larger nursing mother's section back there in the back. We're working on it. But that's not what God was doing. By calling for the multiplication of families, God intends to saturate the planet with these relational units manifesting His image so that every part of creation will be subdued by the presence of His likeness. Under the sovereign degree of God, decree of God, the family is now the vehicle in which this triune relationship, this triune likeness is imaged to the four corners of the earth. That was God's plan from the very beginning. That's why he made Adam and Eve in his image. And I think what's even more striking about this is the fact that, that God, and it's, it's important for us, church, it's the fact that, the, that God wants to share His love with us, not only by making us objects of that love, but because we're made in His image, we can actually reflect God's love to one another. He's, he's actually fitted us and made us to reproduce this interrelational love of the Trinitarian family as we interact with one another, we interact with God, and we interact with this world. God's purpose is to make himself known. And he has chosen that through humanity, that will be the vehicle in which he makes himself known. But not just through individual human beings. We really got to wrap our mind around this. God himself does not exist as an individual. He exists in a Trinitarian relationship. And he's made us by creating more than one of us to be able to reflect back his true nature to one another and to the world. This will, will, this will be a common theme throughout the Bible as you read it, of God making people in his image, gathering them together, and then sending them out into the world to, re- to reflect him. So what do we see in the biblical story? God does this with Adam and Eve, right? He makes them, he creates Adam he says that it's not good that Adam's alone. And so God creates Eve so that he can, they, together they can properly reflect him. They multiply. They send these image bearers out to the world. 
They rebel against God in the Garden of Eden. There's consequences for that rebellion based on the the type of covenant that they had entered in with God, right? The consequences of that is they're removed from the Garden of Eden. But later, there's a greater consequence. It's called the flood, right? So God, wanting to continue to make himself known to the world, he, he promised that he would do that. He then goes to Noah. God covenants with Noah. God tells Noah the exact same thing that he tells Adam and Eve. I want you to go, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, right? Same command, be my image bearers, reflect me to the world. But that doesn't work out really well. It's called the Tower of Babel, right? So then God goes to Abraham this time, right? God had gathered a people together in Noah, and then he scattered in, uh, in Noah, and then he scattered them because of their disobedience. So then God goes to a man. Abraham, and he tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nation, but it's not just you, is it? It's your family. Look up into the stars. See all, see all the stars. I'm going to give you kids, and those kids are going to go out, and they're going to be a blessing to the nations. Those kids, as we know the story, become the nation of Israel. Moses then gathers together, gathers them all together, Uh, They become a congregation for the first time, uh, and he gives them the law, which stipulates how they are to be image bearers of God, how they're to live in a relationship with God, how they're to live in a relationship with one another, and how they're to live in a relationship with this world that doesn't know God. See, God is defining the terms of the church throughout the Bible and what it looks like to be the gathered people of God. But unfortunately, once again, These people rebel against God. They have glimpses here and there where they're doing really good, but for the most part, the Old Testament's not a happy story, right? So they rebel against God. They suffer the consequences in the exile. All the while, God is unfolding this plan to share His love with the world through a gathering of His image bearers. It would take, and this was always God's plan, that God Himself would come as one of those image bearers. He would come as Jesus Christ, He would live a sinless life. He would die a sacrifice for these rebellious people. And Christ's own self-emptying death on the cross represents this quintessential expression of God's love, His divine love. But not only that, God is able to now come and live inside of the hearts of His people. And so now when they gather together, they gather together with the, the... all of our hearts being full of God, more being, being able to more accurately represent the Trinitarian relationship of God. It's good stuff, right? It is absolutely essential to acknowledge that the indwelling love of Christ is given to us, a plurality of human hearts. And this is not to suggest that Christ doesn't dwell in individual hearts. He does. But he, he most certainly does but not hearts isolated from other hearts. Ultimately, it's a family of hearts that Christ comes to indwell. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Where on earth do we find such a love-filled family? We're here, right? The Scriptures make it clear. It's within the body whose head is Jesus Christ. It's in the church that bears His name. My hope in this and walking through that is that our picture of what it means to come into this building would just be shattered. And what it means to be the people of God would be elevated. And what it means to be in relationship would be elevated. Uh, Paul is trying to convey this to, his, uh, to the, one of the first churches, that, the, uh, the church at Ephesus. And he says this in, in Ephesians 1. We're going to put it up here on the screen. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Paul, he's saying kind of a prayer over them, but, but look at the language, and he's, he's going to actually walk through this, this story that we just walked through here. So he says in, uh, in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, right? He's remembering them, not because there's something uniquely special about them, but he's going to say, I'm, I'm remembering you because... Look, look what God did for you. This is what he says. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. you know, what, what does it mean to be this church? What, is the, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Here's what he did, that he, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So, right, he's making this case that you're really blessed because God did something pretty awesome for you through Jesus Christ. And because of Christ's obedience, Christ was exalted, right? He was given the highest position of authority. But then it doesn't stop there. Look what it says. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to me as an individual. No, to the church, to the gathering of God's people, which this gathering is the body. It's the fullness of him who fills all. That's pretty awesome. That because of what Christ did, because he paid the sacrifice that we all owed God, because he destroyed death, we now get to come together as a, a, a sinless group of people who, because Christ has died for us, and together we are, be, we are representing Christ. We are Christ when we're all together, right? And it says that that, that fills all, everything. It culminates everything into this beautiful story. Now, not only is God making his appeal through this gathered group of image bearers, But like I said, he's also residing in them. God, through Christ, makes his home in this new family. This is a good thing. Because his self-emptying love and dwelling the collective hearts of this holy humanity binds its members more and more firmly together. The newly united family serves as a beacon of hope to the fractured families of the world. Through local churches, as they multiply and fill the earth, the unifying glory of Christ becomes visible to the ruptured relationships of this planet. This is what it means to be the church. God's design in the Garden of Eden is being accomplished fully now through us, the gathered people of God within dwelling of the Holy Spirit and the mission of the church as it goes out. See, this is where I'm going to push on you guys a little bit because we can all just agree to that and that sounds really nice. Like, oh, that's a good story. But here's the thing. When, when you become a Christian, it means that you belong to God, right? Uh, Kim used the language of adoption, right? You're a part of God's family. He's paid a debt that you owe. I do belong to God. We belong to God, but we belong to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not that you and I belong to God and then we choose whether or not to join a local church. Our being in Christ means being in Christ with others who are in Christ. This is now our identity. This is why we call ourselves family. And to live out or, and to fail to live out this corporate identity as a people of God gathered together as the body of Christ if you fail to do that, it's, it's analogous, analogous to the act of adultery in the biblical language, right? We can be Christians and not be a member of a church, but it's not what Christians should do. If the church is the body of Christ, don't live as a disembodied member. That's the way we have to think about this. Okay? We're going to unpack all that over the next eight weeks, right? I'm giving you guys a lot of information. I'm throwing a lot at you. But this is what it means to call yourself the church and the people of God. Okay, back to our definition of the church. You guys ready? We're going to put it up here on the screen. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord In obedience to the scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. Let's break this down. The local church is a community, 
right? Well, why do we use the word local church? Why can't we just say, well, the, the church is a community? Because there's a difference between the local church and the universal church. So in the New Testament, we see a number of different gatherings of God's people, right? Uh, a smaller gathering uh, in a home is called a house church, right? Romans sixteen five. While a gathering of believers in a city or a region is called a church, like the church at Corinth, but also the church throughout the entire world can be, rever- can be referred to as the universal church. Ephesians 5, 29, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. So in all of those cases, the gathering of God's people from the local to the universal might be referred to as the church. So is that all we have to do? We just get together and that makes us a church? No, it's a gathering of regenerated believers who are confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, after he tells them about all the great thing that God has done for them, then in chapter 2 he says, now look at who you are in light of this. Look at it with me in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses of sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us and raised up with him and and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it's a gift of God not a result of works that anyone may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Which God prepared beforehand, before Eden, before any of that stuff, God planned this. He knew that he would create a people that would rebel against him. But God is love, and the greatest thing a loving being is to create something that can know his love. And so he did it and allowed them to rebel because he had a greater demonstration of his love. And all of us who are here that would call ourselves Christians is because we realized that God was love and that we had rebelled against that love. And we repented of that rebellion. And we asked Jesus Christ to, to, to come into our hearts, right? Romans 10, 9, we confess the Lord with our hearts, with our mouth, and we believed in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and we were saved. See, the, the visible church is those people who have been redeemed and are being regenerated. We should be able to look into each other's lives as this family and see who those people are, whose hearts are being regenerated. It's a combination of my confessional faith and my functional faith, the way that God is, is living in my life, right? That's what it means to be the visible church, the local church of regenerated believers. But the Bible also says this in 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows who are His. Who are his. Ultimately, God is the only one who really knows who is saved and who is not saved. He's the only one that can look into hearts, right? So then the, the church in all reality, the local church, is this gathering of people who we think are regenerated. We, me and Royce try our best to disciple and, to, and when we see sin in our home community leaders, we point that out, Right? In this membership process, we're going to do the best we possibly can to only allow those people into membership who we believe are regenerated, who we can see God working in their life. But ultimately, we admit that only God knows. So then in all likeliness, the church is going to be composed of those people who are we can see, but also it means that it's going to be some people that we can't Uh, necessarily see if they're regenerated or not. We can't tell 100% who actually is the church. That's up to God, okay? Now, for those of you who grew up Catholic, and there's a number of you guys, and I want to talk about this point, this is a very different teaching 
than you would have grown up hearing in the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church believes in the visible organization. They believe that in the visible organization of the Roman Catholic Church, you find the one true church. This church was started by Jesus. It was founded upon the apostles. The apostles were succeeded by the bishops of Rome through an unbroken line of succession, right? They would say they can know who is the church. It's the people that participate in the sacraments. Well, this was a pretty contentious point during the Reformation, right? This is something that, that really drove that whole movement. Both Martin Luther and John Calvin started their movement and opposed to this idea because it's not what the Bible teaches, that there is one church like the Catholic Church. We believe that the Catholic Church is a form of the visible church, but it is not the only form of the church. We believe that the visible church is the church as Christians on earth see it, right? So in this sense, the visible church includes all who profess Christ and gives evidence of that faith in their life. In order to be a member, me and Royce will do as good a job as we can to see that in your lives. But at the same time, we realize it's only God who knows who's really saved. So then it is possible that the church could be composed of believers and some unbelievers. This is important as we continue to work through our definition of what it means to be the church. Let's keep going. Back to our definition. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But it's not just that. It doesn't stop there. In obedience to the Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and teaching, and observe the sacraments of baptism and communion. So what makes it a church? If we're the gathered people of God and we all confess God as our Savior, doesn't that make us the church? Can't we just all just hang out together? Can't, uh, can't a few of us, you know, me and Donna and Jim, we're going to go to, out to eat afterwards and we're, we're, you know, the gathered people of God. We're together and we're eating a meal together. We're regenerated. Does that make us a church? Well, no, that doesn't make us a church because it matters what we do when we are together that makes us a church. And we believe that God decided what we should do when we are together. The first thing that we have to have, I believe, and it's in our definition here, is we have to have qualified leaders. So how do we know if a leader's qualified? How do we know if I should get to stand up here and talk to you guys about what it means to be the people of God. How do we know if I'm not like saying stuff that I just want? I've just gathered a group of people to, to follow me. Because God, in the book of First, First, First Timothy and Titus, came up with qualifications for what it means to be a leader. Now, God did this throughout all of his story. Old Testament up to the New Testament, God had qualifications for his leader. But they are incredibly specific in, in the New Testament. So God has chosen that leaders, a group of people, the elders in our philosophy of ministry, will lead the church. I know some people don't like that. I know that rubs against you guys because we're individuals and we're autonomous and we don't want to be under the authority of anyone. But the hard truth, and I pray that this would sink in and, and, and you wouldn't leave over this, You don't get to decide how the church is made up and how the church is ran. I don't get to decide how the church is made up and how the church is ran. God has decided that. Our job is just to be obedient to it. And Paul, throughout his letters, when you read the New Testament, he says multiple times, watch your leaders, examine their life, take what they're seeing, Match it up to the Word of God. And if they're saying something that I didn't say, they shouldn't be your leaders. If, if they're living lives that don't represent the life that I've called a follower of Jesus to live, they shouldn't be your leaders and they shouldn't be allowed to lead. Watch, watch what they teach. Watch how they live. That's how we know they're qualified leaders. So these qualified leaders, what they do is they gather, they gather a group of people regularly for primarily two things, preaching and worship. We also include prayer because it's in there. It's part of worship. But gathering regularly for preaching and teaching. This is another contentious point when you start talking about church. 
Now, it might not be for you guys because you guys all come, came here today, but a lot of people just hate preaching, right? The idea that one guy is going to stand up in front, of, in front of everybody and tell everybody else a bunch of stuff, who is he to get to, who am I to get to stand up here in front of you guys and talk, I think, in a, with authority about what it means to follow God? How can I do that? Because God decided that. And he didn't decide that in Jesus and in the New Testament. He decided that 3,000 years ago when he called men through Abraham and then through Moses to lead his group of people, right? Now, we would say the church is led by a, a plurality of elders, me, me and Royce. We would believe the church is led by a group of men. I'm not saying that women can't have leadership inside of the church, which we're going to talk about this. And in our membership series there, women can have all types of authority in teaching inside of the church. But when it comes to the gathering of God's people, like this, in this environment, we believe that God has called the elders to preach and to teach, to decide what we do together. And God, is not, and God has also said in 1 Timothy that the elders need to be men. Now, I know that's hard. Like I, I get that rubs against you guys, and I know our, our service will be smaller next week right? But let's talk about this. Let's wrestle through it. Let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about all the wounds that we've had from churches in the past where we've been abused by, by men in the church, right? Who've abused their authority. The, the men in our culture who have abused their authority. Let's talk about that, right? Let's work through that, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater if God has a design and God has a plan that these qualified leaders would gather us together for preaching and for teaching. When God covenanted with Moses, he told Moses, teach them all that I am telling you, right? Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 2. I don't think I put this up there. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take, the, and take possession of the land that the Lord, the, the God your father is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded. Leaders must be qualified to preach and teach, and their preaching must be in line with what the gospel says. But for a, a man to stand up here and to do this on a regular basis is not just be, it's our preference. It's not just because me and I want to hold some authority over you guys. It's not that we don't believe there's gifted women in this church who can lead and who can teach, but we're trying to be true to the design that God has for the church. So it matters what we say when we get up here. Uh, both Martin Luther and John Calvin, if you guys aren't familiar, familiar with their names, they were uh, huge leaders and, 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 uh, and reformationists that, 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 uh, that led the Reformation. And, and they, had, they said this about the church. Martin Luther defined the church as the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments rightly administered. John Calvin said, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is, no doubt, a church of God exists. So if a gathering of God's people who are regenerate, who believe in Jesus Christ, gather under teaching like this, but they teach something that is contrary to what God taught, they are not a church. Okay? Here's the third time I'm going to step on toes in this room. We would believe that the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not a true church because they do not hold to the doctrines taught in Scripture, right? We would believe that the Jehovah's Witnesses are not a true church because they teach uh, faith by works. They teach salvation by works, not just by trusting in Jesus alone. They're all about trusting in Jesus, but then they have to go and do something. That's why they knock on your door on Saturday morning and they're all dressed up. They are earning their way into heaven. We would believe that this goes against the doctrines of the Scripture, the doctrine of salvation by faith and faith alone. So they must also be considered a false church. Anytime the preaching of the church conceals the gospel message of salvation by faith from its members, so that the gospel message is not clearly proclaimed and has not been proclaimed for a while, this group ceases to be a church. Okay. Let's talk about the Roman Catholic Church. Some Catholic churches teach 
that you are saved by the sacraments. They have seven sacraments. And by participating in the seven sacraments, you are a part of the church, right? And you are a part of the people of God. It is possible in their teaching that the sacraments can become a form of works where you earn salvation. That's why there's all the pomp, right? I mean, you're, you're, as you participate in these activities, you are earning salvation. Therefore, the sacraments become a work or a form of payment instead of teaching salvation through faith. In that case, I would look at that church and I would say, not a church because they're teaching wrong truth and they're practicing wrong sacraments. Now, on the other hand, I know a number of Catholics that I dearly care about who have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And they believe that the sacraments are symbolic of our relationship with God. In that case, I would call them a church. So let's not get into this category where every church we start saying, and you're in and you're out, and you're in and you're out. There's some vagueness. There's some that I can definitely say are out. I already mentioned them. But there are others that I think we need to genuinely enter into a relationship with them and not just assume that they're not a part of God's larger people called the universal church. Okay? We're almost done. Hang in there. Definition. Back to our definition. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to the scriptures, they organize under qualified leadership. They gather regularly for preaching, which I talked about, and worship. I'm not going to talk a whole, a whole lot about that one. We'll get to it later. For one thing, it's not a contentious point. Every group of people that get together, they love gathering together to sing and, 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 and worship. So I'm just going to, for sake of time, we're going to move on. But what else do they do? They observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, okay? What's the big deal in that? Now, back to our idea of God covenanting with a group of people. God, every time he came and made a relationship with these family units, he, he determined what that relationship would look like, but he also gave them reminders. They're called covenant signs. God knows how prone we are to forget. He says it like a hundred times in the book of Exodus. Don't forget, don't forget, right? When Moses has given the people the law. So God, in his grace, gives us these little covenantal reminders. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's reminder was the tree of life, right? It was right there in, in, in the garden. They could look at it. They had to constantly take of the tree of life, I believe, to continue to be eternal, uh, I mean immortal. It was their covenantal sign, Right? For the nation of Israel, God gave them a covenantal sign. It was communion. Doesn't sound nearly as cool as the tree of life, but it's a constant reminder, right, that you are a unique people. You are my people. In the New Testament, after Jesus comes and he forms this church, he tells them, I'm going to give you two covenantal reminders, baptism and communion. These are our two reminders that we are the people of God. Baptism is how we enter into the church as a part of our covenantal sign. It's symbolic. We go up there or anywhere that has water that can be, you can be submerged in. And we, we go down beneath the water. That's us dying to our sin. We come up out of the water. And, and we are, this is our new life. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But the, the New Testament teaches that we're not baptized into isolation. We're baptized into something. We're baptized into the body of Christ. So for those of you who are regenerate believers who come here on a regular basis to sit under the preaching and teaching and worship under qualified leadership, but you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you, strongly encourage you to consider that. At any moment, I'm ready to fire that thing up and get in there with you and be baptized as a covenantal reminder and a sign that you are a part of the people of God. If you haven't done that and you have questions about it, talk to somebody in this church that has been baptized. So we're baptized into this gathered people of God. And then communion operates as our constant reminder that we're a part of this body of Christ. This is the reason that as best to our ability, we'd use one loaf of bread, right? We all take of the same loaf. This is the body of Christ. And we're participating in the same body. It unites us together every single week. It's the reason that as best to our ability, we try to get from one glass, right? It shows unity in the church. We could pass the wafers out to everybody with little glasses and a little wafer. You guys have all you know, done that before. 
but we don't feel that that's an accurate picture of what it means to be the body of Christ gathered together in this place. So as you come to this table in just a little bit and take communion, I want you to remember that by breaking off this bread, you are remembering the work of reconciliation and redemption that Christ did for all of us, not just me as an individual. And I I am binding myself to you guys in Christ's body. He is bringing us together for this amazing work of reconciliation that he is doing. Uh, This is the reason that we practice baptism and communion on a regular basis. And it's also the reason that a group of gathered people who are regenerate, who are hearing preaching, but aren't taking the, the sacraments, we don't consider a church. This is why a guy standing on a corner preaching and he happens to gather a group of, of Christians together, we wouldn't call him a church because it's not participating in the sacraments. It's the same reason that in a Bible study or a home community, for example, we don't call home communities churches because they typically aren't participating in the sacraments. If they were on a regular basis, then I wouldn't have any problem calling them a church. Okay, we're going to wrap up here. I'm going to invite Christian and Alyssa Talisha to come back up and lead us. But I want you guys just to take a minute and think about what we have done here today. Everything that we do together is for a very specific reason. If the church is God's plan for making his name known to the world, then it matters what we do and it matters how we do it. It, That's why we're going to take the next eight weeks and talk through this stuff. This is a big deal to God. So today, we as a local church a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to the scripture, we organized under qualified leadership. We gathered for preaching and worship and prayer. We observed, or are about to observe, the biblical sacraments as, uh, of communion. We are united by the Spirit, disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, I thank you for your plan. Uh, God, I thank you for this beautiful plan to call a group of people to out and to, to make a covenant with them, make a relationship with them, and then to send them out into the world to reflect you. You didn't, you didn't have to do that, but that's how you chose to reveal yourself. That's how you chose to make yourself known. But you didn't stop there, God. You came yourself and you died for this group of people and demonstrated an act of love that forever changed the heart of those people so that now as they go out, they tell others about this beautiful act of love in Jesus Christ. As we come to the tables now, Father, and and we remember the sacrifice that was prayed, I pray you would just stir our hearts for what it means to be called the people of God, what it means to be called the body of Christ, what it means to be called the family of God. And then we would leave this place not as individuals, but as your spirit going out into this world to accomplish your mission for your glory and for our joy. We would ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.